Thanks for listening to the Tribe Church Podcast. Our prayer is that these episodes bless and equip you in your apprenticeship to Jesus. Our goal as a community is to become more like Jesus and to offer Him through our lives to those around us here in Austin, Texas. More like Jesus, more for others. For more on our church, check out atxtribe.org. God bless. Well, we are still uh, talking about the path to peace. Last week, we uh, covered the idea of lament. And really, this path to peace is the idea that we're following Jesus' footsteps to arrive at a place of peace. And uh, we, we do that through lament. We do that through surrender. We do that through renewal. And lament, as we talked about last week, is kind of this truth-telling to God. It's, it's in very raw terms talking to God about what is disrupting your peace. And it's followed by a turning to him in praise and trust. But, but you have to go through the process of being honest with God first, right? Um, and, and I just want to say, if you're experiencing somewhere in your life a break from peace, there's a disruption in your life. It may be a relational disruption. Like there may be challenges with a family member or a coworker or a spouse, or a roommate, that you go, there is a disruption in the peace of this relationship. Or maybe it's a lack of peace in your career, in your workplace, in the future of your career, in the question marks about will there be a future of your career, and all of those things that come with career, that things haven't maybe amounted to what you hoped they would at this point of your career. Or perhaps it's in the community of the church that there is a lack of peace. That maybe this time, this season of your life, there have been some challenges uh, among maybe somebody in your small group. Maybe the whole small group, right? Maybe you in the small group. I don't know. Like, um, but there can, be, there can be times where where we don't feel peace. And there, there are macro events in our lives, the moment when we get the call that it's stage four, and the micro events in our lives, the relational disruption that happens week in and week out with your spouse. Does that make sense? The path to peace is still the same. On that macro level or the micro level, the path to peace is still a path where you must lament and surrender and get to renewal. And renewal's coming on Easter, so we're going to get there. But today, we're going to start with this idea of surrender. So lament, surrender, renewal. This is the path to peace. I think I have a slide for that as well. Um, so as always, we're going to look at the life and the teachings of Jesus to try to guide us along this path to peace and discover what it means, hopefully, and looks like to surrender to the will of God. Now, as Americans, none of us like that terminology, surrender, right? Like, we, our country was born in the idea of, like, we will not surrender. Um, and, and yet, in our spiritual formation, in our, in our following of Jesus, if you've done it for any amount of time, you quickly realize surrender is required. In fact, the Lord's Prayer is a prayer of, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. Thy will be done. It's a prayer we pray daily to surrender to God. So let's go back to uh, Luke 19 to catch up with Jesus on his path to peace. 
Um, for many scholars, I think most people agree, Luke 19, Mark 11, Matthew 21, these are all, John has the same uh, passage. These are all beginnings of the Holy Week. Jesus enters into Jerusalem for one final triumphal entry before he goes to the cross in the coming days. And, and he starts this journey, as we read last week, with this lament over Jerusalem. A sadness, a raw honesty with what he feels the reality is. But next up is this journey of surrender into what will be for him. Uh, and we're going to start this journey of surrender with what's not so peaceful of an event in the story of Jesus. And in Luke 19, and we're actually going to read, I'm going to read out of Mark 11, but they're similar, they're parallel passages. It says this, Jesus came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teachings. I want you to imagine, if you can, just for a minute, a Friday night or Saturday night, eight o'clock, you're down on Sixth Ave, or Sixth Street. I always call it Sixth Ave, but it's Sixth Street. You're down on 6th Street, and suddenly you start to see, one by one, the lights going out in the restaurants. The power is being cut by somebody. And one by one, all the, 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 the restaurants and the taco trucks and all this stuff just comes to a grinding halt. All the commerce ceases at 8 o'clock on 6th Street on a Friday night. And it's all because of one individual. And imagine, if you would, for a moment that Sixth Street is kind of run by a mixture of people behind the scenes. Maybe the mob has a little bit of a hand in Sixth Street. I don't know if they do or not, but maybe they do, right? Maybe there's some political powers that have some uh, emphasis and some, some, some leverage there on 6th Street. Maybe there's some bigger economic investments that are happening there on 6th Street. And one individual comes to the forefront as the person who stopped it all. What do you think is going to happen to that guy? It's not going to go well, right? At the very least, it's not going to go well for this guy this is what's happening in the temple courts for Jesus. There are all kinds of investments, all kinds of power brokers moving into this space. It's not the actual temple. It's kind of the courtyard outside the temple. It's pretty big, you know, maybe one or two multi, you know, football fields wide. It's large. People are changing money for all the people that are coming into town, into Jerusalem for Pentecost. Some say it swelled to one or two million people during Pentecost week. Like just millions of people are coming in. They're needing to change money. They're needing to buy small animals for sacrifices. There's this commerce going on. Millions will be made in a day. And Jesus comes in and flips all the tables and he won't let anybody do business. 
And what do the power brokers of the day decide in that moment? They're going to destroy this guy. He is going down. Now, just a quick side note. You don't have to go there, but just if we go back into verse 11, just in this passage in Mark, it says, He entered Jerusalem and he went into the temple. And when he had had a look around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So there was a day there where he went in and he kind of looked around at all that's going on. And he goes, all right, I see what's happening here. I'll be back tomorrow. And then he goes and he meets with his disciples and they have this time together and, and he comes back. And so I say that because I want you to know this wasn't, sometimes we use this passage or this passage of Jews is like Jesus just had this flare up of anger and just lost his cool and just went bananas on. This was not the case. Jesus, this was premeditated. In fact, he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 56 about the prophecy of all the Gentiles, all the foreign nations being able to come into the house of God. Jesus goes, the will of God is not being done here. And I'm going to go and see to it. And he, he goes in and he does all this work, right? But this is premeditated. This is a moment actually of surrender for Jesus. Because he knows this is going to be the tipping point. He's had a lot of skirmishes. There's been a lot of run-ins with the different, you know, Sadducees and Pharisees and teachers of the law and all these different people. There's been run-ins, but this will be the thing that does them in. This will be the thing that they go, we got to kill this guy for. And so surrender in this way, it doesn't mean do nothing. For Jesus, it meant to do the will of God, even though you know it might cause some trouble. It might bring some conflict into your life. Okay, so let's just connect this for a second. Because Jesus is on the path to peace, right? This doesn't seem like a peaceful stop along the journey. But what's he doing? He's dealing with what needs to be dealt with to get there. He's willing to engage with conflict in order to get to peace. And in order for there to be surrender, you have to deal with whatever is in between you and peace. Are, we, are you with me right there? Does that make sense? I don't like conflict. How about you? When there are, I'm, I am born and raised New England, reserved, cold most of the year, just keep it to yourself kind of a person. I don't, I don't want to deal with the thing that's in between. We can go on for years without talking about the thing. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know your family of origin. Maybe you're very comfortable with conflict. That wasn't how I grew up. But if, if doing the will of God in my life, if I really want peace, I've got to go through conflict. And I can just tell you more often than not, um, when there is a lack of peace, there's something that has to be addressed, particularly with somebody relationally. How about you? And that's often where we, we stop the work. We go, ah, I will go this far. I'll pray about it. 
I might even complain about it to some other people, but to go and to do the will of God to get through the conflict that is there, that's in the middle of me getting to surrender and peace, it's a little too costly. I don't know what what that will disrupt. I don't know what will happen, right? But Jesus leads us. He says, you know, we have to go through that. Um, Rachel and I, we have an incredible marriage because we work through conflict. Like nobody gets married and avoids conflict. If you do, you won't stay married long, right? Um, and luckily, Jesus and the, the teachings of Jesus and the, the teachings from the scriptures and the community of Jesus, the body of Christ, has taught us so much about how to work through conflict. We're not arrived. We're not fully mature. We're not perfect at it by any means. But I can tell you when something comes up, when the peace is disrupted, and married people, you all know what it can take to disrupt the peace. It could be something macro or sometimes something pretty micro, right? But the peace is disrupted. I know on the, uh, if I want to get to a place of peace and reconnection, I can't avoid addressing the thing, whatever it is. And my wife is way more, she's better at this, right? She's way more confident at this. And so she's often the one that brings it up. But I have to then be willing to go there with her. And it's uncomfortable. I don't like it. The fight or flight in me wants to run for the hills. But to do the will of God, to bring restoration, to bring bring forgiveness, to bring healing, to bring whatever it is to do the will of God in that space, I have to be going, willing to go through the conflict. The, the same can be said for you in your workplace. The same can be said for you in your career path. The same can be said for you in your marriage or in your household situation right now or in your small group or in your ministry or whatever it is. But the question is, if you really want to get to a place of surrender and peace, are you willing to go through the conflict? Easier said than done, but Jesus leads us there. Okay, so the ball's rolling for Jesus. The conflict has started. The people are out to get him. And pretty quickly, we move towards the end of the week. And and we see, we're not going to read all the passage, but we see him preparing now for what he knows is coming. It's, it's after the, the meal together, the Last Supper, and he's there in the, the garden with his disciples. And now there's another kind of surrender to the will of God. There's not this surrender of I have to go into conflict. There's the surrender of I have to be willing to let go and be willing to let injustice be done to me. And be willing to surrender my will to God's will so much so that it will bring sadness and pain and heartache and a tremendous event. I don't even, he, he says, I don't even know if I'm ready to go through this. And he goes to the garden. What does he do? He, he's there and, and he is, he's literally confiding in the people he's led. These, these, these disciples, he's saying, I feel overwhelmed to the point of death. I don't know if I can do this. Can you pray for me? This is the Messiah. He's walked on water. He's healed the blind. He resurrected Lazarus. And they're kind of cued into what's happening, but they, don't, they haven't really fully accepted it yet. And here he is going, guys, I just need you to know where I am, where I'm at in this journey. I, need, I, I don't feel like I can do this. 
And so this, this path to peace, this journey of surrender is a communal experience. And then he goes and he prays and you see him over and over asking God, is there any other way for this to happen? Is there anything else that I can do to not have to embrace this cup, to not have to take on the cross? Surrender, if it's truly surrender, always leads to obedience. Always. And so Jesus gets up and he makes his way out of prayer and he's arrested and he's given over into the hands of his enemies. And we're going to pick it up here in Matthew 27. You guys doing okay? At this point in the, in the journey, the passion of Christ, he has been beaten. He's been spit on. He's been falsely accused. He's been, he's been tormented. He's been kept up all night. He probably hasn't eaten or drinking much. He's, he has, his, he's literally been flogged, so he's, he's barely alive. He has been ridiculed the whole time. I mean, this has been a torturous amount of time for him. And it says here in verse 33, when they came to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Then the two robbers who were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, "You who destroyed the temple and re who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself! If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross." So also the chief priests and the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, "He saved others." but he can't save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Jesus is nailed to the cross in complete brutality. And I'll just tell you, as the movies, because of rating systems, they really can't even do justice to what it was. It was public execution. He was stripped naked. He was bleeding profusely. The, the nails weren't through his hands. They were through, through the bones in his wrists so that he would hang on those nerves. To get relief from the hanging on the nerves, he would have to push up on the the nails between his ankles for just a moment of breath, but the pain obviously shooting through his body. I mean, horrific. And in the midst of it all, the voices that are coming in from him, to him, are just ridicules of his life's work, ridicules of his existence. People deriding him, just have, making a joke of him in this space. And they try to give Jesus something to dull the pain, some wine mixed with gall, but he won't take it. 
He won't remove himself from the present will of God or lessen the reality of the cost of sin by trying to minimize it in any way. He feels the full weight. Think about how often I've tried to justify or blame shift or wordsmith or ever just so slightly just kind of turn the lens a little bit so not to have to bear the full weight of sin. And in doing so, I've always missed the path of peace. Even if maybe peace, even if I got one over on the person I was, you know, kind of having to confess with or talk through the conflict with or whatever it was, I knew between me and God, there's still something there. I wasn't really fully honest. Have you ever had that experience? Are there areas of your life where you've made it look like surrender? You've made it look like, hey, the will of God but you've kind of skirted the hard parts, really. Haven't confessed the whole thing. Haven't taken responsibility for all of it. It's just too painful. Jesus leads us. He he shows us how to take it all on. And the real miracle here is that he didn't have to. At any moment, he could have said, you know what? I don't want to do this. I'm out. Too painful. I don't deserve it. It wasn't quick. Days lead into hours of pain that lead into moments of excruciating reminders of the cost of doing God's will. And they say that the second greatest miracle in the New Testament, the first being that Jesus resurrected to the dead, but the second greatest miracle in the New Testament is that he stayed on the cross. That he held on to the will of God even when it was as excruciating and painful as it was. Sometimes relief doesn't come quickly, right? Sometimes the hurt doesn't resolve itself in one talk. Sometimes the loss isn't, you don't move on from it with just one time of prayer or counsel or lament. Sometimes you have to, it stays with you. And Jesus doesn't guarantee you that doing God's will will quickly remove the pain. That surrendering to the will of God will suddenly provide immediate relief. He can't guarantee that. But it will lead to peace. But living with these moments of of loneliness, especially I think for, for some of us who are single or single again, or there's been a distance or separation from our spouse or whatever that... Living in the loneliness is hard to do. To not reach for the wine and the gall of our day, but to hold on to the will of God. To surrender, though it may take longer than you like. Grieving the loss of a loved one may take longer than you like. The dream that has gone unrealized that may take longer than you like. The wreckage from our past and our mistakes 
that have not fully resolved themselves. Maybe they never will in this lifetime. But Jesus held on. He didn't numb out. He didn't cope. He didn't avoid the reality. He trusted in the grace of God. And he anchored himself in the hope of the resurrection someday. And look, I just want to say, somehow Jesus did this and was still able to hold on to joy. And this is really remarkable. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 12. This is really remarkable that Jesus somehow in this process held on to joy. It says here in verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that has been set before us. Let us follow the path of Christ, the path of peace, as he lived it out, looking to Jesus the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before us, for him, who for the joy set before him, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from such sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted yet to the point of shedding your blood. You may feel sad about doing the will of God. I think it's fair to say Jesus was sad, right? You, you may feel the pain of doing the will of God. Jesus certainly felt the pain of doing the will of God. You may not get what you want from doing the will of God, but somehow Jesus still held on to joy. How did he do that? It says he looked at what was ahead of him. And he anchored his, his security in something greater. He anchored himself in the resurrection. Ignatius of Loyola uh, he taught something called the grace of indifference. Have you guys ever heard of that? Uh, and you might hear indifference and think like we kind of tend to correlate that idea of indifference with apathy. But this indifference to the will of God is really kind of like a holy detachment from the outcomes. So it's growing in your spiritual maturity enough to say, God, I lament, I'm being honest, I trust you, I praise you, and I surrender the outcome of what I want, and I do your will. It's a detachment, an indifference to how it goes. Does that make sense? It's a radical trust of God that says, hey, whether sick or healthy, whether a short life or a long life, whether success or failure, whether loss or achievement, I am surrendered to the goodness of God. He is good and his will is good and I will find peace in that goodness. I will endure for the joy that's set before me. And this is what Jesus does. It doesn't mean we don't feel sad. This is not like put on a tough face and just keep going. Don't just start speaking Christianese about how surrendered you are. But really, th this, is, this is 
being honest, being real, being in community with those you're going through the journey with, but hanging on to what's ahead of you. Jesus endured. Why? Because there was a joy set before him. And as we prepare for communion, I just want to say this part of the process, the path to peace, it's, it's a painful part of the journey, but it is a necessary part of the journey to surrender. And we all feel tension, whether it's the relational thing, there's something in our career path, there's something in our, our personal lives, there's something in our family, there's something in our church community, there's something that we desire our will to be done for, and it is, it is disrupting our peace. The only way to peace is surrender. And you may be going through a tough time. And to surrender to God's will may be painful and it may not provide quick relief. But we don't anchor ourselves in quick relief. We are not those who trust in a quick fix, Jesus. We trust in the work of the cross to provide grace, and we hope in the resurrection someday, that someday he will make all things new, that someday it will all be right, that someday that joy that's set before us will be ours. And now and in this time, in our struggle against sin, in our struggle against that which disrupts our peace. We trust that renewal is coming. Easter is coming. Sunday is coming. Resurrection is coming. Joy is coming. And so we endure as he did the will of God. Let's pray.